Good morning, everybody. Hello. Looks like we're all good to go on sound and video. Welcome to Critical Q&A number 422 uh, on this Sunday morning. It is uh, August 20th in the year of our Lord, 2023. <laughs> I just love the way that rolls off the tongue. And yes, three days in a row live. Uh, awesome. So glad you are uh, digging this Xion. Yeah, I am doing pretty good today. I'm in a good mood. It is Sunday. I'm going to get this done and uh, enjoy my day. Actually, I've got another recording to do later with Tony. Um, he's well, by the way. Uh, had his had his thing. And um, anyway, we will talk about that later. But yeah, things uh, things are going pretty good. I was very happy with the live stream yesterday on the How to Become a Cult Leader critical review. And I hope you guys were too. I hope you all checked that out. I really put some work into that. I hope you guys enjoyed the breakdown on it and sort of uh, talking about how cults are viewed in our society these days and how education happens about it and how we can raise awareness of it because it's a more serious topic topic than I think most people realize. And that's that makes sense because they don't know about it. They don't want to know about it. They don't think they need to know about it. They think it's something weirdos and stupid people get involved in. And, oh, isn't that very unfortunate? And, oh, doesn't it really suck when kids are involved? And they really have no idea how susceptible and vulnerable everybody is to cultic influence and propaganda and indoctrination. These are necessary. It's funny because you talk about these things and throw these words around. And these are um, necessary components in our society, indoctrination, education, propaganda even, right? How do, you, how do you propagate information to the masses? Well, that's propaganda. And there's good propaganda and there's bad propaganda, right? There's, there's, uh, there's white and black propaganda. And we find these things necessary tools in order to get news out, in order to get people informed about things, in order to help people understand stuff. And yet when it's fed with deceptive, narcissistic, egotistical, money-making, scammy, destructive stuff, which it often is, and especially out of our mainstream news media you know, organizations, not because they're evil, just because they're human and stupid, we are surrounded by this stuff all the time. And I just kind of feel these days rather unapologetic about calling it out and saying, hey, we got issues in this society. We got problems. We need to deal with these things. And, and not dealing with them and letting them go, not understanding them, that's how we end up uh, in the situation where we get ourselves in. It's culty stuff. It's culty, culty stuff. So... Um, <clears throat> but despite all that, I'm actually still in a good mood today <laughs> and happy to be here with you all. I'm very happy that you have so chosen to uh, invite me into your home today. Uh, and let's have a Q&A show. Let's talk. Let's, uh, let's go over some stuff. Um, I am, um, let's see what we got here. Oh, wow. I did not see this business. I heard something about... Uh, this uh, oh, let's go ahead and switch over to our uh, comment view. <clears throat> Excuse me. Vernon asks, "Did I see Mike Rinder's update?" Uh, Osa was following Mike's son. I d did not see. I saw the update that Mike was pro treatment was progressing well. That was the part I was most interested in, uh, but I did not see that they were following his son around. O Osa, 
you know, it's always the worst thing. It's always like, okay, let's choose the most awful thing we can do. Okay, let's do that. And the and the horrible, see, when I talk about, you know, what I was just ranting about for a minute, soapboxing there about about cults and our society and the and the nonsensical cultic activity and beliefs that go on in our society. You know, this is Scientology is at the top of the list of things we can look at and talk about uh, that are like really, truly awful behavior. And I've and I've said this so many times, stressed this so many times. But let me say this again from maybe a slightly different point of view. When people think that they are on the side of right and might and that they are justified in what they can do to bring about a better world. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. Following children, abusing children, beating on children, abusing kids, and actually even killing them is all okay. It's all two thumbs up in our little culty world universe because they're bad people. They're bad. Mike Rinder's bad. He's an evil suppressive, and so is his entire family. So we're righteously justified in doing anything we want to harass and intimidate and stop those bad people. That's Scientologists right now. That's Moonies right now. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons even. They are righteously justified in their behavior because they're so certain that they are right. That's the enemy of all of us, is that level of extreme certainty. The worst things in history, the worst atrocities committed in all of history were always committed by people who were absolutely right. They were absolutely certain that they were right. And, of course, we all know that only Sith deal in absolutes. When you're thinking in absolute terms, if you're ever thinking, if you're ever coming across people who are thinking in absolutes, that's where all the evil comes from. Anyway, going on and on here, but uh, just get on a roll about this stuff. It's so frustrating, isn't it? Okay, let's see. Uh, let's see what else we have coming in on questions. Let's do a Q and A here, huh? Um, yes, we have, are absolutely allowed to get drunk on a Q and A. Although it is Sunday morning at eleven o'clock, so it's a little early, I think. All right, um, let's go ahead and move on. Oh, my God, 3 a.m.? Wow, 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 wow. Okay, um, yes, yes, yes. All right, guys. Um, didn't mean to dive into all this serious, atrocious awfulness at the beginning, but it just, you know, that comment sort of triggered that for me. Um, okay. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about this. So Young Matador asks... 
with DM, uh, now church leader, how easy is it for him to change source material? I gather the Church of Scientology has insisted that fair game was repealed after LRH's death. I may be wrong. No, they know within the Church of Scientology that while they might not call it fair game, that's not a term that I ever used or heard much about when I was in Scientology as a Scientologist. We didn't talk about, oh, let's go fair game him. Oh, he needs some fair gaming. Oh, you know what? Let's go FG that guy, right? That is, that's not how Scientologists talk or think about that activity. They, um, In fact, most Scientologists don't know anything about what goes on in fair gaming. They don't, they're not exposed to it. They don't brag about it, talk about it, hear about it. They don't want it. They don't want to remind Scientologists at any time ever that people like Leah and Mike and me and Tony and Karen and Aaron and everybody else exist. They need to. They need to. Uh, what's the word? Like non-exist us. They need to anonymize us. They need to make us uh, nothing in the eyes of Scientologists. So, so that doesn't get talked about. However, from time to time, you will see or hear. Or the world will encroach on Scientology, like with anonymous protests, or you'll see a private investigator. Like we would see them around the base or something when, when anonymous would come around. We'd see these people appear. And we'd be like, who are these guys? Oh, they work for the church. They're Scientologists who work for the church. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess we're being protected. I guess there's protection or there's you know, people who are seen to our best interests and you kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Okay, I guess... I guess these guys are taking care of things. And that, as a regular Sea Org member, a regular Scientologist who didn't deal with the external periphery OSA SP stuff, that's as much exposure as I had to it. And I think that's the most exposure most Scientologists have to it. Um, but when it comes to... <clears throat> okay, so... Um, so we would probably have insisted... If asked, if a media reporter had come up to me, you know, stuck a mic in my in my face and said, "Why is the Church of Scientology following and harassing these 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 people, or why are you stalking these people, or whatever?" I would have said, "Or what about this fair game thing?" I would have gone along with the party line and agreed. Oh, we don't do that. What are you talking about? That's not. No, 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 no. Right? Or if we do, if we do. Right, it's righteously justified. It's fully. It's it's. Of course, they deserve it. They are bad people. They are they are stalking and harassing us. What are you talking about? Right? You just reverse the whole thing, and it's it's them doing it to us, not us doing it to them. If they would shut up about us, we'd leave them alone. Why are they attacking a religion? Why are they attacking a good group of humanitarians who are just trying to bring human rights and freedom? You know, blah, 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 right? You can just twist it and turn it. And this is, the, this is the master class in human stupidity. This is what human beings do all day long is they, they, they rile themselves up around these causes and think they are so righteous and justified in their behavior that they can think delusional things and it all makes sense to them. Oh, God, I was so delusional as a Scientologist. I can't even begin to tell you. So as far as the first part of your question... Um, how easy is it for David Miscavige to change source materials? Not as easy as you might think. Here's what I can tell you about this from my direct experience with it when I was in the church. And um, 
I don't know if I've, I, I think I've talked about this years and years and years ago. I think I mentioned doing this, but I don't know that this is something I've talked about a lot. One of the first things I did when I w- went down to the Sea Org base, this was at year number two. This was the second year I went down as a staff member. I went, okay, so I joined staff September 1987 in Santa Barbara. And I was sent down to L.A., and I failed at a supervisor training program, and I got sent back to Santa Barbara, and I worked for another year or so um, as the DTS, Director of Tech Services. I was calling people in for their services that they paid for and they weren't doing, and maybe they hadn't been around in years and that kind of thing. And I did that for a while, and then I kind of got back into, let's send Chris back down to L.A., and get him through this course supervisor training. And I was kind of more arrived as a staff member and ready to go down there and do it. And when I went down to LA for round two, I did get through the supervisor training. But one of the things that I did while I was there is I did a form of work study. If the churches, if the orgs that send trainees can't pay for the room and board or uh, the training services for their staff, then their staff will often be put on work study uh, on the Sea Org bases. And so my work study was not working in the galley or working on Colin. Excuse me. This was this was 1988-1989 time period. My work study um, was proofreading. I did proofreading of materials that were going to be released um, soon after. And they had just recently, or they were revising the and, and producing these research and discovery volume books. And they also had the new edition of Science of Survival that was coming out. These were the 19, these ended up being the 1991 releases, 1990-91. They did a full release of a bunch of materials. And they claimed that they had gone back and compared the original materials, uh, the published materials to the original source produced, the L. Ron Hubbard written Uh, copies of this stuff. Well, let me tell you, what I saw was a photograph of a bulletin board with the chart of human evaluation, L. Ron Hubbard's great big chart on how to take a tone level and what does this mean for a person's sexual behavior? How do they feel about kids? How is their honesty? There are columns that rate a person's honesty, compatibility, not compatibility, um, uh, trustworthiness, uh, courage level. There's a whole bunch of these, these columns. And depending on what tone level you have, what emotional state you're in, Hubbard put this chart together that indicates what your behavior is going to be. And this is supposed to be a chart that predicts human behavior. And I saw a photograph that was purported to be the original typed up first version of this chart. And it was a bunch of squares with typewritten notes in them. And they had been pasted together into this great big wall chart. And a picture had been taken of it. And apparently this was a photograph from one of the very first Dianetic Foundations and the original chart of human evaluation. And then we had other written and lecture materials uh, and the, from Hubbard, and we were proofreading these against the revised 
additions, the art research and discovery volumes and these other, and the science, the new science of survival book. And my job was to sit with another person and, and basically read this material, including every um, punctuation mark. When you do proofreading, you read those out loud. And uh, the other person followed along and made sure that, you know, everything made sense and everything looked and, and sounded exactly the way it was supposed to against the original materials. Like they had the originals there, uh, copies of them, obviously, not the L. Ron Hubbard typewritten or handwritten, but copies of them. And we would, we, this is where I learned how to read L. Ron Hubbard's handwriting uh, because we had to proofread against L. Ron Hubbard handwritten originals or at least things we were given that we were told that's what they were. And this was not some PR activity for us. We were behind the scenes you know, secret workers who had signed NDAs that we weren't going to ever talk about any of this. So this was not an effort to fool us. We, as work-study students, were part of the process of revising Scientology materials. And so I got a little bit of a look at what that takes. And every single comma that has changed, every possible change that's made if they're going to suggest that this comma shouldn't be here or this dash needs to be an m dash not an n dash or this word doesn't really belong there or this phrase belongs over here you had to have a written approved uh authorization to make that change before it was before it was fully approved it went through about six or seven different people. Uh, Senior CS International was one of the last ones. And then, of course, RTC, uh, you know, quality control became the last one. And that would ultimately translate to David Miscavige. Although I don't know if he actually has to be on the approval line for every single comma but he certainly is on the approval line or is, or is happy to put himself on the approval line for every single change. So my, the, I guess the reason I'm breaking all this down for you in this detail is to let you know that it's not just David Miscavige sitting at his desk, at least it, it wasn't within my experience of how they do this stuff. He doesn't just sit at his desk and go, oh, well, this is no good. Okay, well, nah, 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 nah. Okay, now nah, this, is, this is the L. Ron Hubbard original. You know, I don't think it works that way. I think uh, I think that there is a great deal of care taken within the world of Scientology to document this stuff with a kind of German efficiency. They have files and files and files and files of all these changes and stuff. And I think they document it that way. At least that was my experience of it. Now, that was 30 years ago, right? That was way back in the, uh, yeah, late 80s early 90s, right? So that's what I can say about that from my own direct experience, which I hope is interesting. It was certainly interesting to me. I, I, as a Scientologist and as a staff member, walked away from that experience impressed. Like, wow, they really take keeping Scientology working seriously because look at all this attention they give to every single change, every single comma, to make sure all of it is 100% on source, right? Now, could Miscavige have changed that process, done other things, thrown other monkeys into those wrenches? Of course he could have at any time. But that's not what I saw. So that's what I can 
That's what I can say about that. Uh, kind of interesting stuff, sort of how the um, how the um, sausage gets made. Okay, let's see what we got here. WW, ASL talked the other day about someone who thought they didn't want him on SPTV because of a possible double agent who told him BS. Was that about you? No. I have no idea what that is in reference to, but it has uh, nothing to do with any of my thoughts or feelings about any of that. I'm not aware of double agents or O-supposers or anything like that, so I don't know what he's talking about, but it wasn't talking about me. Um. <laughs> yes, there we go. Respecting brain cells since uh, what? April 2013. <laughs> there we go. I think it was around April. I think April Mayish. I think is once once is is when I kind of hit the ropes as a Scientologist and and was out. Um. Okay, all right, so we've talked about this before, but this is an evergreen question. Kosher oxygen. How does a cult differ from healthy or benign religious or spiritual movement uh, drawn together by charismatic or talented individuals? Very, 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 this is real easy. Um, When we talk about destructive cults, and that's the term I use, I use the term destructive cult to very clearly differentiate what I'm talking about from the Boy Scouts or from the Catholics or something like that. If you use if you look up the word cult in a dictionary, it's not necessarily destructive by nature. Um, it could just be a group of people aligned around a common purpose with extreme belief or with uh, dedication and loyalty to a cause. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that all the way up until there is. And the destructive part comes in when there is lies, deception, uninformed consent, uh, and abuse as part of the whole process. Um and a cult is a codependent relationship between the cult leadership and the followers. The followers need the leader, and the leader needs the followers. They both, they're dependent upon each other. Usually codependency is a concept that is talked about in domestic relationships or, or partnerships or marriages or something, but it actually has applicability in, in culty ways too. Uh, the dynamics are very, very similar. And they're, the methods of control or the methods of manipulation, uh, what we call coercive control, isolation, manipulation, and control, are always present in a destructive cult situation. They are not present in a benign religious situation, even with a charismatic leader. Charismatic, there's nothing wrong with having charisma, being able to draw people together, being able to attract people, being able to put a message out there that people want to hear and they enjoy hearing from you. That's, there's nothing wrong with any of that, right? Up until there is, up until they, they dial it up to 11 and they start taking advantage of that position to unduly influence the membership. Okay, I'm throwing out all the key words here, right? So undue influence is when you are being influenced or manipulated in ways that are underhanded or deceptive. You are not aware of what's being done to you when it is being done to you. 
And this is auditing in Scientology. This is chanting and mantras and praying and meditation in lots of other groups where they engage in ritualistic behavior or procedures or processes that change your mental state and can sometimes change your mental state in ways you don't understand or are being interpreted for you in ways that are wrong, just factually wrong. Oh, you're having an out-of-body experience right now. No, you're being flooded with dopamine and other euphoria-inducing neurochemicals, uh, neurotransmitters, and you're having a great time right now. And there are specific reasons that that's happening and that you going out of your body has nothing to do with those reasons. But that's the interpretation that's given to you. And if you fall for it, you will believe that this group has secret knowledge or sacred science that you need to glom onto and make part of your life because this is the only place you can get that special secret sauce. That's the destructive cult stuff. That's what they do, and that's how they sell it to you so that you will become part of that group or part of that process and give over more than you get. You will give over money and time and resources to this group, uh, and you will be taken advantage of. And that's the difference. A a benign, regular, ordinary, run-of-the-mill religion or group is take it or leave it, come or go. We don't care, right? It's 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 not commitment and loyalty and and all this heavy-handed, you know, controlling, manipulative nonsense. That's what goes on in cults. So those are your differentiations there, uh, in in pretty broad strokes, in pretty general terms. But I hope that helps. Um, Break that down. I hope that that clarifies the difference between them. There, there are great big differences. And sometimes they can look similar. Sometimes they can look the same, especially to newcomers and people who are just, you know, getting involved or people who are just sort of giving it a passing interest, you know. Oh, this, this religious congregation looks like any other religious congregation. Sure, if you just look at them for a few seconds, but if you spend some time, listen to what the preacher or the charismatic leader is saying or doing. Does he have an inner circle? Does he have lieutenants? Are they exerting control? Like, there's all kinds of things you can see pretty quickly if you know what to look for. The complete list, by the way, I don't do this very often, but on my website is a complete list of all the characteristics of a destructive cult. Uh, It's a page on my uh, website. So there's a link to the website in the description section of my videos, mncriticalthinking.com, and you can check that page out and look over the list of attributes of a destructive cult. There's probably about uh, 11 or 12 of them or something listed there. Uh, So there you go. Okay. um, See what else we got here. Great questions so far today. As we go on here. Okay, Eileen asks a two-part question here. First one is, I have SP friends and Scientology friends. I'm probably deadlisted, but not declared. And then she says, am I putting any of them in danger via my friends list? What can I do to protect them? Okay. I suppose with your friends list, you're talking about social media like Facebook or something. Um, Well, you should probably make your friends list private as a first step. Uh, If Scientology isn't already tracking you and tracking your connections, and that's what they do on Facebook, 
is they pay close attention to people's friends lists. So make your friends list private. Make it so people can't see who all your friends are. And if that's on Instagram or Twitter or something like that where maybe you can't do that, then um, you got some you got some choices to make as far as whether you want to be on social media or whether this is even necessary to hide or deceive or try to hide from OSA. Um, you know, there's a that's that's probably the first choice. Is you have the the first choice is kind of like okay, do I want to play their game or do I want to play my game, live my life according to the way I want to live, open, transparent, and honest. Or do I need to try to play the hide game, the whack-a-mole game, where I'm going to hide my connections and hide what I'm doing from OSA? And if you're going to play that game, it's a hard game to play because OSA doesn't play any other game all day long. They got nothing else to do but fuck around with people and chase around their connections on Facebook and social media and put their documents together of all the SP connections and who knows who and who's connected with who and all of this. They are paranoid to a degree very few of you actually appreciate. It's unbelievable and i i don't say that to demean anybody watching it's just it's insane it's insane how paranoid scientology is and how off the rails crazy levels of paranoia osa is they're they're crazy i'm telling you um i'll use that term advisedly right they're they're crazy and so they are willing to spend all of their waking hours and stay up late, late, late at night for days and days and weeks and months on end tracking all of us evil, you know, minions of uh, the SP TV world and the, you know, in the SP world and the Leo world. They think we're all in cahoots. They think we're all in something where we're, it, it, they think crazy things about us. And they're always looking for connections. Uh, Hubbard was crazy about that. So you have a question to ask yourself is, well, do you want to fight that machine by trying to play that game, the spycraft game, the spy game, right? The, okay, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to hide from them and I'm going to have these friends, I'm going to have these SPs that I know and we're going to see if they, you know, that they're not going to catch me. Or you can just go, fuck it. I'm going to have SP friends. I'm going to have Scientology friends. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Let's start blowing stuff up, right? Because your, your Scientology friends on your friend list are not in danger. They are possibly going to be contacted by the Church of Scientology and told you're somebody they shouldn't be in touch with or you're somebody who is friends with suppressive people and they're connected to you so are they going to stay connected to you or are they going to be good little scientologists that's the choice that will be presented to them and they're going to have to decide what they want to do about you and that's when you might start getting messages from them saying um hey why are you connected with these sps i can't be connected with you if you're going to be con- I mean, it's your choice but you know i'm not going to stay connected with you if you're going to have chris shelton on your list of friends right and i'm just throwing that out there i don't know if i'm on your friends list but that you know that kind of communication will start coming your way and you'll have to decide uh what you want to do at that point right do you want to keep this friendship with the scientologist or do you want to be able to have friends with whoever you want 
because the Scientologists won't let you be friends with whoever you want. That's their thing. That's the whole thing is they have to control your connections because of their connections with Scientology. So, um, so what you could do, I mean, the, the obvious thing is hide your friends list um, and then decide how you want to go about this, right? And, um, and what your goals are. You know, there could be, and I'm talking about this as though you don't have any obligations to stay connected to the, to the Scientologists. If they're family member or friends or business relations or something and you can't, and you can't rock the boat, you can't. Right, you need those connections, then it's a whole different matter. Then you really probably should unfriend the SPs because it's going to be hard to be, if you need to be connected with Scientologists, you can't be connected with SPs openly and publicly. These things, eventually this is going to blow up for you. So, uh, so you got again, you have choices you're going to have to make on that. And I can't make them for you, obviously, but that's what I can kind of see from your questions. I feel free to tell me more, ask me more about that, but that's what I can say right off. Um, okay. Let's see what we got here. Oh yeah, absolutely. Excellent. I saw you ask me this yesterday and I didn't see it when we were, um, doing the show yesterday said I and I kind of bummed because I did want to I would have responded to this if I'd seen it yesterday uh since yesterday was your 400th sensibly speaking podcast can you tell us how much and how many and how many happy times did you have when you were in the Sea Org can you reminisce and name one yeah absolutely of course I can um we talk about all the bad all the time and of course there was some good but let me think a little bit about that because there was not like there was a lot of good, but there was some. I mean, you know, there were good times with, uh, you know, with my ex. And there were good times with friends. There was times going out away from the base. Those are the things that kind of come to mind right away. I'm going to tell you, though, um, my peak moment. I'll tell you my peak, my peak moment. Um, in the Sea Org was right before my first nail in the coffin. Um, it was that San Diego project, right, that, I talk, that I've talked about. Getting those 20 auditors in San Diego was, it was, it was such an accomplishment. It was such a mission impossible. I was sent down, I sent myself down to San Diego. I, I, I wrote the project orders. I was, in, I was compelled. I was, I was on fire to make a change, to do something positive for Scientology. And I wanted to get those 20 auditors recruited. And I wanted to do it now. I was sick and tired of it not happening. And I got a Hungarian second uh, pro- for my project, another person to go with me. And I wrote the project orders and I pushed them through and I got on a train and we made it happen in one night and uh yeah within two days I was on a on my way down to San Diego and in three weeks in three fucking weeks we did what could not be done right we got we got 20 auditors posted I think I think it took a month total because we were down there for three weeks before we got called back and by that point, we had 18 auditors. And, and we had gotten to the point where we were recruiting them from around the United States because there weren't enough of them in San Diego 
to get 20 auditors, but we were working stuff out and shifting people around and doing what needed to be done. And everybody was on fire. Everybody was excited. People had no idea this could be done. It was just ingenuity and some, you know, pick up ourselves by the bootstraps and let's just fucking do this thing. Let's do it. You know, we talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Let's just get our noses down and do it. And we did. And it was exciting. It was fun. We were laughing and crying and just thinking we were doing something that was finally making a difference. Really felt like that. It felt so awesome. And when they got the 20th one, you know, they actually called me from San Diego because I was back in Los Angeles. You know, and that was the bass awkwardness of the Sea Org is we're up to number 18. I am down there. My job is, as my regular job in the Sea Org, is to establish technical areas for Scientology. I'm in San Diego doing more in three weeks than I have done in four years, five years, of being in the Sea Org. And they need me to come back to get back to my desk to send more telexes because the telexes are just so effective, right? I mean, Scientology management has their head so far up their ass. They couldn't expand these orgs. If there were 100 managers in the Sea Org doing their jobs, they couldn't do it. The system doesn't work. L. Ron Hubbard is a moron. And the entire system he created is awful. It's god-awful. So despite that system, busted out of it, went down to San Diego, got something effective done, got my ass called back to Los Angeles because we were just doing too well, (laughs) as far as I can tell. And they got the 20th, the, the two last ones. I couldn't even go down there to be there for the final graduation. It was so lame. No, they did let me go. I was able to go down for that. I did get to go down there for it. Anyway, and um, I think, anyway, they got the 20 auditors, right? That was my peak. That was it. That was the top of the moment. That was the, that was the crest of the best high I ever had in Scientology was that. Was pulling that off with that, that, that group feeling that came with that 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 pulling off the impossible you know oh it was it was amazing and Scientology as a group management Sea Org management as a group hated hated it I didn't get anything for that there was no rewards for that there was there were very few attaboys it was just kind of like treated like it was nothing and that was when I went, oh, wow. And then the orders, I've, I've told this story before, but I'll tell it here. I'll just say again. I wrote down an entire like five or six page document of all the things we had done to make that happen. Because I knew if we could pull it off in San Diego, we could go to every other org and we could do it there too. We could do it in San Jose. We could do it in fucking Vegas. We could do it in Albuquerque. I had real hope that for the first time 
we could actually make these organizations make it and really start expanding Scientology. I had it all figured out. And it was, and it really made a lot of sense. And I was completely stopped. Nope, you're not going out again. You're going to sit at your desk and you're going to send telexes. And that's how you're going to boom the orgs. And that's how we're going to make Scientology clear the planet is with telexes. I mean, these people are so fucking stupid. I'm just, I'm just being obscenely uh whatever today but it's just it, it you just all these feelings still right it's like it's like it was so amazing to finally see through to to finally get a glimpse past the curtain when that whole thing went down and i actually saw no one cared about actually growing scientology it blew my mind it absolutely blew me away that the bureaucracy and the rules and the telexes and the mantras play the birthday game. You ex-staff members out there will get this message more so, I think, than the, than the never-ends that I'm talking to right now. But there was, it was so clear. All of a sudden, everything was clear. And then I went into denial. Right? I saw it and I went, no, 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 it can't be. It can't be. It can't be that all of this is a facade and we're really just spinning our wheels all day and all this heartache and all this yelling and screaming and all this, this carpet chewing and the, and, the, and the punishments and the dish cleaning and the scrubbing toilets with toothbrushes and all of this insanity it can't be for nothing. It can't be that we're just sitting here doing busy work all day. But that's exactly what it was. And I just wouldn't see it. It took me another 10 years. But that was my peak, right? Followed by the crash. And anyway, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's not what you're looking for, Exxon. But that's that's what came to mind for me on that. Um. And no, they did not employ 20 auditors for for very long. No, they had some in training and they had some here and there. And they were trying to keep them busy. And no, they couldn't because it doesn't start that way, right? You have to get... Uh, I was wrong in the sequence of how I thought we were going to build Scientology orgs. Because what should have happened is there should have been a massive uh, push on new public coming in at the exact same time. It should have been a double header. It should have been put the auditors there, but also get new people coming in in droves. And you would should and you and it would be a, both of those things going at the same time is how you would boom an organization in Scientology, how you would make it go. And their name is so toxic and such mud now, they can't actually pull that off. Uh, oh, thank you, Hugh Thomas, for that super chat. Uh, let me um, cruise down to that and pull that up as a question here. Hugh Thomas, uh, super chat question. How, can you imagine a Scientology government, the Republic of Scientology? How about a rehabilitation project force with 20 million held? 50,000 DM beating on the millions. What a science fiction novel. Well, you know, that's exactly, uh, that's exactly the case. It would be called 1984. 
uh, or it would be called modern-day North Korea uh, or China. That is, those governments look and sound almost exactly like what a Scientology government would look and sound like, except L. Ron Hubbard would be the one deified, not Kim Jong-il, or Un, rather, or uh, Xi. Exactly, Orwell wrote that one. Um, that is what it would look like. Uh, Thought Reform 101, right? Um, citizens being brainwashed. Uh, nonconformists being reported on and tortured until they became conformists. Torture mostly happening through security checking and RPF-like um, rehabilitation programs, right? But it would be exactly that. Scientology is dictatorial. Scientology is authoritarian. And Scientology is not a moral group of people. They're, they have morals, but their morals are, are backwards morals. They're completely backwards, where uh, freedom is slavery and, and ignorance is knowledge and that sort of thing. So, um, so it'd be, it would be an awful, awful place, right? It'd be very galactic imperium kind of setup, except it would all be aligned around L. Ron Hubbard's brilliance and the whole Thetan theory, right? And we're all going to rehabilitate everybody and get them up the bridge and everybody's going to be so happy all the time. And it would be a really creepy society because most people forced into complying with this would end up having smiles pasted on their faces all day, which would be even worse, right? It would just be horrifying to behold. Um, so that's my answer to that. Yeah, and um, and we've talked about, you know, the North Korea Scientology government type question. I think we've even done podcasts about it on this channel. It's a, it's a very interesting topic. And um, only in that Scientology writ large just becomes genocidal. It just becomes horrifying. Because there are policies and writings in Scientology which openly and blatantly justify getting rid of whole swaths of the population if they do not conform or comply with L. Ron Hubbard's standards. Quite literally, I'm not joking, there, there, there are writings in Scientology that say that and or could be interpreted in that direction with no effort at all. Um, so that's why I know a Scientology government would be absolutely horrifying for this entire planet. It would be awful. Um, oh, God, great question, Chris Wood. What do you think about complementary and alternative medicine like coffee enemas? I hate it. I hate those things, and the reason why I hate them is because they don't work, and they are bad for you. They're actually like the destructive cults of, of medicine, right? Medicine, alternative medicine that works is just called medicine. You don't, you, you don't have to go find your own, roll your own, figure your own out. It is very, very true that we are limited in our scope and knowledge of um of what is factual when it comes to fixing our bodies. We've spent centuries trying to figure it out, but really only the last couple centuries really applying a scientific method to it. And as with everything, really. And so, so many of these sciences and so many of these subjects are still in their infancy, and people get up, up completely, understandably frustrated at the lack of solutions and answers to the problems they face. This is understandable. But, it's, but throwing coffee up your ass ain't the solution. I mean, you don't have to, just because something's new and different and sounds crazy doesn't mean you have to do it. 
or that it's going to work or that it's some secret that's being hidden from you by big pharma or by big medicine or something. The secret doctors don't want you to know. You know, this conspiratorial anti-science kind of uh, thinking that they're hiding the truth from you is where so much of this nonsense comes from or springs from, and it's just not true. Doctors and scientists in general are desperate for cures and answers and remedies, and they are spending their entire life working on finding those things. But we don't have all the answers yet, and so people, very, very desperate people, who are in pain, who have relatives in pain, who have children who are suffering, want solutions, and that's just totally understandable. But don't turn to crazy in order to find those solutions. They're just going to make things worse. And that's what's so wrong about them, is they're just con people, con men and con women, peddling false solutions and telling you what you need and want to hear in order to fall for them, right? It's, it's, it's very important that we keep a level head during the worst of times. This is why I'm, I'm always going on about, you know, when you're about to make some great big commitment or life change or big decision, wait Give yourself time to think about it and let your emotions change so that your thinking changes. Look, let me put it this way. When you are in different emotional states, different areas of your brain are activated and functioning. And sometimes in some emotional states, especially ones involving panic, anxiety, grief, fear, uh, depression, uh, these emotional states do not activate the frontal lobes to the same degree that rational, calm feelings do. And, and therefore, you're not able to think things through far into the future when the frontal lobes aren't going. That's my understanding of it. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but that's my understanding of how this whole thing works. And... The closer, the more anxious you get, the more fearful you become, the less time you are thinking ahead in. You know, in a fight or flight, oh my God, what do I do? Time is cut off to the next action or the next couple actions you're going to take, and that's as far as you're thinking. But in a calm, rational, chill state of mind, you can think years ahead. And think through consequences and think through, you know, how things are going to, one thing's going to affect another thing. And that's really important as a place to be when you're thinking about your health or you're thinking about solutions to your health or solutions to the problems of your life. You want to give yourself the benefit of being able to think as clearly as you possibly can. And you cannot do that when you are fearful or upset. So, you know, you want to be sure that you're in a good place and you're really thinking about all the facts of something when, that's when you're considering these alternative medicine approaches. And that will save you, if you're really conscientious about what I just said, that'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of grief going down the path of false solutions. There are interesting ideas and solutions out there that are not necessarily mainstream ideas. But you're not going to be able to differentiate those from the bullshit if you're not thinking clearly and look and looking at all the facts of the situation.
There simply isn't any other way to approach this stuff. I wish there was. I wish it was easier. And in times of our desperation and need, we easily brush aside the need for rationality and objectivity. But that's our mistake when we do that. And that's what opens the door to these con people pushing false solutions on us and taking advantage of us. And that's what I hate about alternative medicine is the plethora of really crazy, stupid ideas that take over people's thinking in that area, right? It's understandable. I just, I just explained why it happens, but it's, that doesn't make it okay, you know, and that's, that's my <laughs> big statement on that. All right. Anyway, Debbie, I will definitely give your love to Melissa and Benson. Thank you. Um, oh God. Oh boy. Um, Let's do it. Okay, so uh, somebody else recently asked me about this, and that really deserves a podcast. I really need to do a whole deep dive and, and look at this stuff. Artificial intelligence, right? Uh, what's your opinion on artificial intelligence? Is it beneficial or a threat? And will humankind end just like in the movie Terminator? Well, it could. Uh, is it going to? Probably not. You know, the thing about the future is whatever you think it is, it's going to be different. <laughs> <laughs> I've pretty much given myself over to that way of thinking at this point. You know, whatever concept you have about where we're going to be in 10 years, forget it. It's going to be totally different. But um, but I, am, I have deep concerns about AI. What I have concerns about is the same kind of concerns as, as people had. In fact, the exact same kind of concerns as people had when Oppenheimer and, the, and Manhattan Project feared out the atomic uh, energy problem. Um, that's a big problem to solve. And in solving it, there is a great deal of benefit potential for mankind in solving that problem. But look at all the destructive power that was also unleashed. And that was done on purpose. We wanted a bomb. We got a bomb. And as uh, a side effect of that, we also got atomic power. Uh, and now nuclear power. And we have thankfully benefited from atomic and nuclear power more so than we have uh, been harmed by the destructive side of it. We've managed to hold ourselves in check for decades now. It hasn't been a, even a century yet, but we've managed to keep ourselves in, in rain so far and not blow each other up or even have even one errant nuclear weapon go off somewhere in the world that we didn't want to. Uh, and that's a really, really amazing thing given our, you know, sort of um, hair trigger temperaments as human beings. It's, it, we've come super, super close a couple times, but we have not hit that button. We have not made that mistake. And now the Cold War is not really over, but kind of. And we'll see how things uh, realign as the future moves forward with uh, conflicts between America and China and India and what's left of Russia. Um, you know, after Putin's gone, I'm, I, I, you know, we're going to have to see what happens. But, um, but now we have to AI. Now that, I've, you know, that's, that's the whole atomic thing. That's how I think about AI is like, what are we going to be smart enough to figure this out in such a way that we can be smart and use this for opportunities and to f and fill voids and give people more opportunities and more 
not leisure, but more ability to produce and, you know, raise our national GDPs, raise our quality of life, raise our ability to make food, raise our ability to deal with climate crisis. You know, all the things that we are faced with on a global scale right now, AI can help us with in ways we probably can't even still right now imagine. But are we going to use it for that or are we going to be too stupid and opportunistic and instead use it to enslave each other, right, to enslave people? Because it can be very easily used for that when combined with propaganda techniques and big data sets, as is done by, you know, the whole Cambridge Analytica social media problem. It's a huge problem. It's a, it's a, it's a weapons-grade technology that AI can be plugged into and utilized to enslave populations. That can happen. That can happen right now. It's not some far-flung 1984 bizarre future. The technology exists to do it right this second. And I know at least one country has, um, has literally... Com- categorize that level of technology as a weapon of mass destruction. That's, that's the UK, right, with the Cambridge Analytica stuff. Um, so it's not a joke, I, at least not as, as far as I'm concerned. And I, and I can see that dark side of it and knowing what I know and knowing how easy it is. It's not hard. I mean, just think about it for a second. Advertisers, you know, Wall Street, uh, K Street, um, is it K Street? Or the, the, uh, uh, Madison Avenue, that's it, Madison Avenue. Um, these are not bright bulbs. These are not really super smart people. People who get into advertising, people who do that work, I don't mean to like, as a blanket statement, say people in advertising are a bunch of morons, but what I am going to say is there are morons in advertising and they get the job done. How do they get the job done? Because it's not that hard. That's why, that's why, that's the point I'm trying to make here, right? Is mass manipulation and keywords and triggering people is easier now than it ever has been. Mark Zuckerberg has made that possible. Elon Musk has made that possible. Jack, what's his nuts? Uh, from Twitter made that possible. That's what these guys have been doing. So if you want to take all that big data that these people have put together over all the years and you want to combine that with this weapons of mass destruction grade technology and then you're going to throw AI into that mix, it doesn't have to look like a Terminator future. It could look like a future where we do each other in. I mean, look at all the divisions and everything happening already. That's the result of the kind of technology I'm talking about. I don't, I don't feel like I'm off in some weird conspiracy theory rant right now. I hope that's not how this comes across because I don't mean it that way at all. I, 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 you know, I don't think there's some group of nefarious characters sitting in smoke-filled rooms plotting the end of mankind. I don't think, it, I don't think that at all. I think there are a lot of very hopeful people who think this technology is going to allow them to do things that are really stupid to do, and they're going to try to do it anyway, and they're going to mess it up, and there's going to be unintended consequences, and, and things could get really bad. That's generally how it happens. 
And I don't want that to happen, you know. So that's why I'm a little concerned about AI and its use in corrupt or uh, stupid hands. <laughs> you know? That's that's what concerns me about it. But how much of a possibility is this right now? Don't know. That's what I want to find out more about, right? How realistic is are these fears that I'm sitting here describing right now? Am I off to? Am I out to lunch? Am I off in, you know, in some fantasy world and this is not possible, but I only am thinking it's possible? That's what I'd like to find out more about and do a whole podcast about it. And somebody else asked me about this too and was kind of pushing me in that direction. So you'll probably hear more about this from me in the future. Um, And let me say that, you know, a lot of my ranting and a lot of my looking into the future on this stuff is informed by how I think about the world. And I'm surrounded by nasty, awful stuff all day long. I mean, my world is the dark side of humanity. So it's very possible I am biased in that direction, and I'll own that, and I might not be seeing more of the positives or more of the good side of this that could very well exist and be happening right now that I don't know anything about. Example, medical technology. If you apply AI to medicine, there are miracles possible. I mean, there's some really interesting stuff in terms of AI getting all the data and recombining it in ways humans haven't thought about before to maybe find cures or solutions to problems we haven't been able to think through yet. That would be awesome, and there's probably a whole bunch of people working on that. I don't know anything about it other than maybe that's happening. So I can't speak to that side of it as well, and I'm going to be all doom and gloom about it, right? So, it, you know, so there's, so there, it's possible that there's a lot more about this I don't know anything about. And I don't want to leave everybody with just total doom and gloom. But this is where my mind goes when I consider the possibilities of what could be done in a really awful way with this stuff. And uh, so that's why I end up talking about that stuff. Um, since Leah Remini, Remini is suing Scientology, does she have security when she leaves her house? Probably. At this point, probably. She talked about that in the lawsuit, so I'm going off of that information. All right. Um, Is it called X-Twitter? Yes, it is. Young Matador, how many packs of cigarettes do Sea Org members normally go through a day? Depends. Not a lot of Sea Org members still smoke, uh, to be honest with you. At least not when I was in. The smoking was on the decline in a very big way in the Sea Org when I was leaving. So I knew uh, I knew some people who definitely smoked a lot, but it, but a pack a day it was rare actually by the time I was leaving, which might surprise you to hear that. But that was that was my experience of that. All right, uh, let's see if we can get through some others here. I'm not sure, Joe. That's an interesting question. What would a cult run by a vulnerable or covert narcissist look like? I mean, if it's a cult, I guess it's going to look like a cult. I mean, it, it would probably be a little harder to spot or or nail down the gaslighting or the or the love bombing for what it is. They'd probably be a bit more controlled, organized, and subtle about it than a more malignant narcissist might be. But otherwise, I think it would probably look and sound very similar. I mean, narcissism is narcissism. And whether it's overt or covert, whether it's malignant or, uh, what would you say, vulnerable... 
it's still narcissism. It's still an, an unhealthy obsession and, and it just, you know, to the point of distraction. Uh, attention on one's own oneself and one's own purposes and ego and, and needs. So any group run by such a person is going to, you know, uh, look and sound an awful lot like uh, the glorification of one person over everybody else. And if they're, I guess if they're not flat out malignant, then as a narcissist, then I suppose it might be a more lighthearted or less abusive situation, but probably still not going to be a lot of fun to be part of. I would, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to get some more specific examples of then, because speaking in broad strokes is really hard. I mean, cults manifest in thousands of different ways. Thousands. So it, it could look lots of different ways. That's why, that's what, stump, that's what I stumble with a little bit in trying to answer questions like that. Um, okay, let's see what we got here. Vernon asks, did your parents treat you and your brother as adults and little bodies according to Scientology beliefs? Basically, yeah, basically they did. Not as hardcore as some other Scientology parents have treated their kids. We still, my, my mom had a pretty good head on her shoulders, and you've seen my mom, or if you haven't, you should see my interview with her, um, because she's a good person, and she never wanted bad for me or anything. I think there are some Scientology parents who really don't like their kids. And fortunately, my parents liked me. So while there was abuse and there was uh, Scientology beliefs, there wasn't, there wasn't physical abuse and there wasn't an uncaring attitude toward me or my brother. And I've seen that demonstrated by some Scientology parents. They just don't care about their kids. Or they look at their kids as as roommates or something or or fellow travelers and it's and they totally miss the point of being parents i personally i don't know how it's possible that scientology's belief set can override genetics and the genetic attraction and familial connection that is biologically present in most most parent child relationships it boggles me that that is possible. But apparently some parents just aren't as genetically or biologically connected with their kids as they should be. And so Scientology acts as a justification or reason for them to even be more distant and treat their kids even worse. And that's just awful. That's just tragic. And those are parents who just don't deserve kids. But what are you going to do, right? After it's happened, you can't you know, take them away. So it, it kind of sucks. But my parents were not that bad. They were not that kind of parent. So at least I didn't have to suffer that. All right, let's see what else we got here. We are, oh, wow, we are past an hour. All right, let's see if I can see anything else in here. Um, huh. Okay, if you and Melissa were forced to move outside of the USA, what country or part of the world would you like to move to and why? The first answer to the question is Australia because that's where my son lives and I would really love to be closer to him. Um, um, so that's my first answer. Even though Australia wouldn't necessarily be the first choice of place I'd like to live, I don't think, although it's not low on the list. I like Australia. Um, I just don't know if culturally we would get along as well as I would like, but I but I would definitely go there first because of my son. 
Um, otherwise, um, probably somewhere in Europe. You know, Germany is of interest to me. The UK is of interest to me if I could live there, but I don't know if I could. Um, weather and costs and things like that are, are what I think about with the UK. A lot of friends there. I'd love to be there for the friends. Um, we were seriously considering Barcelona. We were, we were very seriously considering that pre-COVID. Uh, but I don't think I'd want to live in Spain at this point. The country is just too different and the language and the culture. Is, it's, I think there are too many barriers. Um, so an English-speaking country or a country where English is, is not a problem to speak, right? Germany or maybe um, Sweden or something or Switzerland. I don't know. I, you know, th- these are the things that we kind of play games with. Where would I like to live, you know? Um, but really, the answer to the question is, if it, if it was a one choice and it's a one and done, it's Australia, because there, there's just no question about that. So that's, that's my answer. Okay. Um, OBG Foster, in your study of cults, is false medical information and or faith healing like Tetrasis common enough to be a defining factor or red flag? Uh, not defining factor. There are plenty of cults that do not engage in mystical medical practices in order to be cults. Um, there are cults that have nothing to do with medical practices or self-improvement in that way or healing in that way that it wouldn't be a defining characteristic. For example, an acting class or a martial arts dojo led by a malignant narcissist who is taking advantage of his uh, followers there's no medical there. There's no healing there. Uh, or there wouldn't necessarily have to be. And yet it could still be full-blown cultic activity. So, no, that would not be def- defining characteristic. But symptomatic, very much so. Mystical manipulation, sacred science. These are the lifting categories that this stuff falls into that you would look for. So, um, so characteristic of destructive cults, yeah, certainly. But not defining characteristics. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Have I heard of Justin Allen Craig who says he's LRH reincarnated? Would you interview him on your channel? Yes, I've heard of him. No, I would not give that guy the time of day, and I wouldn't be able to anyway. He's in jail right now. And by the way, he's got something on the order of about 20 or 30 people who actually still believe in him enough to send him money right now in jail scumbag this guy total scumbag all right um hey awesome on the sponsored memberships guys that's really cool um all right one more and let's go ahead and wrap up now that's a good question is the way cult members abandon or neglect their children a similar process to how drug addicts do? Hell, yes it is. It's all about chasing that high, isn't it? It's all about chasing that fix. And yeah, that's a great analogy for it because that's the level. That's Actually, that even helps clarify it for me, Joe. So thanks for asking that question that way because I brought up earlier about that business about parents and, and their kids. Yeah, that nails it, man. It's because uh, that's exactly the headspace that you get into as a fanatic in a cult is you are chasing that high. I have been there. 
And I've seen other people who have been there. You're so desperate for that session. You're so desperate for that fix of Scientology that you'll do anything, anything. And I've been at, I, I was on my, at the end of my rope so many times in Scientology, desperate to get in session and get that fix yeah, euphoria fix, right? I, I, I'll, I'll describe it that way. I'm not too, I'm not too proud to say that. That was what it was like, and yeah, you would do stuff for that, right? And and endure a lot of punishments, jump through a lot of hoops, right? So, uh, ooh, yeah, good question. I like that one. All right, and on that, let's go ahead and uh, see about wrapping up for today. Good stream. Good stream today. I enjoyed this. I had a good time. I hope you guys did too. Talked about, got a little serious on this one, I think, in a couple places, but I think we covered some good territory. Um, I hope you guys feel the same way. I hope it was a good show for you, and I hope you will continue tuning in. We will have uh, After Scientology Straight Up and Vertical with me and Tony tomorrow, and then we'll see what this next week brings. I've got a lot of work I'm working on right now, a lot of stuff I got to do. So I don't know that I'm going to have any additional extra live streams this next week. I think it's going to be news on Wednesday for members. And I'm really encouraging. I hope all y'all are digging this news show. Um, It's new content for the channel. I am putting it out there to try to encourage people to become members. I preview it for members only on Patreon and on YouTube members on Wednesday. And then Thursday, I drop it for everybody. So if you're interested in supporting the channel, getting a preview of that show, that's the only thing I'm putting out so far as a, hey, maybe this can encourage some memberships or maybe this is going to encourage some support for the channel. And I hope it does. And I hope you guys will, will take advantage of that. But regardless, it'll appear on Thursday for everybody. But I'd really love your feedback on that and let me know how I might improve it um, because it's new content and I really want to focus on building that show up in its importance because I think that that's a I think that show has the possibility to be the gem of my channel if I can develop it well and put and build it up to something that's what I want to do I've I've focused a lot on the quality of the news stories and the content versus the presentation of it and that'll develop over time I'm not really too worried about that but I really want to put quality news out there for you guys about the cult world so I hope it's doing that and I hope you guys will check that show out and I hope you'll support the show and the channel as a result all right, so that all being said, um, let's wrap up for today. See you guys soon. Bye-bye.